0: Coming up on Word Matters, etymology of the folksy type. I'm Emily Brewster, and Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode, Merriam-Webster editors Ammon Shea, Peter Sokolowski, and I explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. Sometimes the history of a word is inextricably linked to a goof, a gaff, an utter, complete mistake. In fact, there's a whole category of words for which this is true. Here's Peter with words derived through a process called folk etymology.
1: We often say that English is a mongrel language. We borrow words from other languages. We sometimes say it's improper to say borrow, even though that's the linguistic term that's frequently used because we never give these words back. And when we talk about foreign terms borrowed into English, we tend to first think of what I would guess is fairly recent borrowings because those words obviously still look foreign. So you think of words like cannoli or karate or sudoku. These are terms that are obviously kind of borrowings from a foreign language. Older ones get more anglicized because if they were borrowed earlier, then over time they had become more English in their spelling and in their pronunciation. So a word like platoon is really just an English version of the French word peloton or peloton. And barbecue comes from the Spanish word barbacoa, but barbecue and platoon seem very English now because of familiarity. And it seems to me that language is a habit, and that's an important point because that habit means that sometimes we change the words to make them more comfortable. So one example is this term, chaise lounge, or is that how you would say it?
0: chaise lounge right? Man. We, have, we have chaise
1: <laughs> right, so it's spelled in the French manner c-h-a-i-s-e and then lounge like lounge of course lounge is a French word that we've borrowed but chaise lounge in French would be chaise Longe. it's originally from chaise longue which meant long chair and what's interesting is that the word longue l-o-n-g-u-e has the same letters but in a different order as the word lounge l-o-u-n-g-e and so when this piece of furniture was brought in the late 1700s over to England, what had been a, a chaise longue became a chaise lounge. And that's this gravitational pull toward a more common word is known as folk etymology or the transformation of an unfamiliar term to make it seem more familiar, since long in the French way is not an English word, but lounge is. So the thing is, this particular story goes on because lounge in English, one of the definitions of lounge is a sofa or a place to sit, a long couch, a lounge chair.
0: That's right. So chaise lounge or chaise lounge makes perfect sense to an English speaker.
1: It makes this particular switch from long to lounge almost irresistible. I call it a gravitational pull because the logic is impeccable, even though language isn't always logical. So sometimes we apply logic to these things. And it is interesting that both terms are still current, chaise lounge and chaise long. It seems like there is a distinction that we recognize chaise lounge is used more frequently for outdoor or poolside patio furniture. And chaise long, or just simply chaise by itself, is used for indoor furniture. Hmm. It's kind of an interesting case study in what we could call folk etymology. But there's a lot of these.
0: Yeah, folk etymology, it's also called corruption, right. which I think is very interesting. <laughs> exactly.
1: the rotting, judgmental name Yeah, the there. rotting of language.
0: So yes, we prefer the term folk etymology. It just sounds friendlier.
1: And, but also because the term etymology brings to mind the origin of a word. And what we're saying is that the origins of these words is often not what they appear to be.
0: That's right. It's an instance of speakers trying to make more sense of a word. So they modify the words so that it makes sense to them.
2: And we love stories. One that comes to mind for me is that bonfire was started off as oh. bonefire And in Middle English, it was, in fact, a fire of bones. <laughs> and there is some speculation that. that the bon is, because we thought of it as having a pleasant meaning in French, bon marché. Do we only go towards words that we think we know? Or is it trying to bring the word to a pleasant association?
1: I think it's simply familiarity, which may or may not be pleasant. Because, for example, the name muskrat, so it's a small mammal, and certainly the rat is another small mammal, but the animal was called in the Algonquian language of Massachusetts of the time, it was called a musquatch, and the musquash was later interpolated as rat. The second syllable was rat, and the first syllable as musk, which is a word that we associate with animals and their smell. And... So musk rat is just simply the way English speakers heard that name. Yeah, the fact that we
2: moved it towards musk and rat kind of puts the kibosh in my theory
1: that we're moving towards something
2: pleasant. <laughs> yeah,
0: there's not a euphemistic impulse <laughs> right. at work there.
1: No, just familiarity. Another similar one from a similar language, another Algonquian language, is the word woodchuck, the groundhog-like animal. The Narragansett name was Aquachan, and Aquichon it was just simply heard by English speakers again through their ears and filtered through their logic.
0: Another really good animal example, and there's no euphemistic impulse here either, is the word cockroach. Oh, right, 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 right. Early 1600s, English speakers encounter the Spanish word cucaracha. The cuca means butterfly caterpillar, I guess, in oh, Spain. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Those cockroaches, they have different connotations. But English speakers heard cucaracha and they transformed it into cockroach. Cock meaning rooster, and roach being a kind of fish. So they already associated both of these syllables with animals, and they turned cucaracha into cockroach. Yuck!
1: Lovely. Crayfish is another animal. Crayfish, from the French word crevis, that's still the French term crevis for prawn, small lobsters. Crayfish is just an altered version of that original Anglo-French term and crawfish is a variant of crayfish that dates back to the 1600s.
0: You're listening to Word Matters. I'm Emily Brewster. More on folk etymology after this break. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.
1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with
2: Byte. I'm and Shea. Do you have a question about the origin, history, or meaning of a word? Email us at wordmatters at m-w
1: I'm Peter Sokolowski. Join me every day for The Word of the Day, a brief look at the history and definition of one word available at merriam-webster.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more podcasts from New England Public Media, visit the NEPM Podcast Hub at nepm.org.
0: My favorite folk etymology is the word hangnail. A hangnail is that little piece of skin that is hanging at the edge of your fingernail. It's very painful, red, inflamed. Mm. In Old English, the word anganal, I don't know that that's how they said it, but that's how I'm going to say it. That word that is the forebear of our word hangnail meant corn on the foot.
1: Oh, right. Corn as in the shape of a kernel of corn?
0: Yes. Right. It's the painful formation Mm -hmm. on your foot. And the element that the thing that became nail didn't refer to a fingernail in that word corn on the foot. It referred to the nail you drive with a hammer. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, and the idea is that the head of an iron nail was similar to the hard corn on your foot. Yikes. By the 16th century, the association of nail with fingernails and toenails led to this new meaning of this word hangnail to refer to an inflammation around a fingernail or a toenail.
1: Again, the logic is kind of unimpeachable. You really can't argue. It seems to be the name of the thing perfectly, and yet that's not where the word came from.
0: That's right. But something is lost in there. That ang that was at the beginning of hangnail, of the Old English word, that angnal word, is related to the word anga, meaning painful. That's related to the word anger. I like to think about the impulse behind these things and to think about the way that children sometimes come up sure. with these new terms. My just-turned-five-year-old daughter calls a platform a flat-porm. There we go. And we talk about these a lot because they're a big Lego family, and so, you know, you need flat-porms. And so the whole family is now calling these platforms, we call them flat-porms, and it makes so much sense right. because – is a platform. They're flat. They're flat pieces, and so they're flat
1: form. Except the word plat, P L A T, in French means flat. Yes, but she does not <laughs> so, know so, that yeah, yet. Yeah, I just think it's fascinating to see these crisscrossing currents of logic and etymology. That's right. It's pretty great. The term helpmate is another folk etymology because it originally was help meet. And the word meat was both a noun and a verb, and the adjective meat meaning suitable, like a meat solution. That's archaic now, but it was in the King James Bible, for example. And so in Genesis, it says, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a help meet for him. Ooh. But a help hmm. meet. those two words being next to each other, ultimately switched, again, the gravity of this term went from meat a rare use of that adjective, to mate, meaning companion or wife. So help mate, and mate now means a friend or a member of a couple. But help mate originally was help meet. And so words can sort of evolve.
0: Interesting. There's also Welsh rarebit. Oh, right. Right? Welsh rabbit. Rabbit. Welsh rabbit. rabbit. It's melted cheese poured over toast or crackers. And this was originally Welsh rarebit. And Welsh rarebit is still an accepted term. We haven't
1: completely lost that. And there was the fact that asparagus became sparrow grass.
0: Oh, right. But that variant has not caught on. That's archaic. Some dialectal use of sparrow grass. I wish we still called it sparrow grass. I like that.
1: It's pretty great. So then we have this word lute string, meaning a plain, glossy silk formerly much used for women's dresses and ribbons so lute string. But this word from the 17th century in English connects the term lute and its string, the stringed instrument like a guitar that was popular especially in the Baroque era. But actually the term lute string comes from lustrino, the Italian word for the glossy fabric. So, in other words, luster, you can hear the word luster in lustrino, it just meant shiny fabric, and it came through this logic of folk etymology to mean lute string.
0: Yeah, yeah and clearly there's some romanticism at work sure. here, right? it's
1: pretty great. Lute string has been about as successful as sparrowgrass, I would say. <laughs> yeah, right, but it makes a great story.
0: For Amon Shea and Peter Sokolowski, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.